with abortion impacting millions of mothers and fathers in Canada, America, and around the world every year, it stands to reason that many of the people that we talk to on street corners and on doorsteps have had abortion experiences in their past. Today's episode, I talk about how we unpack and navigate those experiences. Hi folks, my name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. And in today's episode, um, it, it's largely a follow-up episode from last week with Kevin Burke, um, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard, um, licensed social worker, and um, really an expert in how to talk to and how to navigate experiences that men in particular have had with abortion. And this is a model that I, I kind of want to implement with a handful of other um topics and angles and issues as well. I, I like the idea of, I, I love having guests come on to share about their experience um, and, and to tap into their wisdom, into their insight. And then I'm, I want to experiment with this kind of episode where I do a follow-up and I share how that insight percolates directly into conversations that we might be having on street corners and on doorsteps. Right. I, as, as Kevin mentioned, you, you don't necessarily have to have a, a PhD in, in counseling or social work um, to be able to have meaningful conversations uh, with post abortive mothers and fathers. Um, and so let's take some of the tools that Kevin has and some of the, the training and experience that we have um, at the Pro Life Guys podcast at CCBR, Canadian, Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, and how can and should that shape the conversations that you're having as a a street corner pro-life activist. If, if you're already a pro-life counselor, if you're a social worker, um, by all means, please give me your feedback on, on what you think about this. But this is the setting that we're talking about. This isn't a matter of here's how you should counsel people on abortion when you've got them in your, in your, um, yeah, uh, I don't even know what the rooms are called, but whatever, in your office, in, in the facility that you do counseling in, this isn't trying to tell counselors how to do that job, do their job. That's not my lane. And I'm not going to try to veer, veer into that lane. What I hope to accomplish in this episode is how you can have conversations on street corners, doorsteps, or in other informal capacities with friends, family members, members of your community, um, that kind of thing. What tools can you have as arguably a quote unquote lay counselor, somebody who doesn't necessarily have professional training in this area, um, but often has the most, the highest degree of opportunity, right? That, that as we've seen uh, with mental health and countless other things that um, there's very few people who um, seek help. And, and we know from Kevin's research and background that we've seen the um, Tears of the Fisherman book um, and countless other studies and articles that have come out that that men in general are far less likely um, to access counseling. But but even outside of the men and women kind of division, people in general, there there are far too many people who don't access um, counseling, support, therapy, whatever it may be. Um, and there's many tragically who do, who aren't getting the answers that they need. As Kevin mentioned on last week's episode, I'm going to refer to last week's episode a whole awful lot in today's episode. So if you haven't tuned in already, hit pause on this one and check out last week's, last week's episode with Kevin Burke. Um, but as, as Kevin talked about that, that there are many people, occupational therapists, social workers, counselors, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, all that kind of thing 
who, for a variety of reasons, are not going to address um, history with abortion um, in <clears throat> their sessions or in their ministry or in their work. Um, and so we have an opportunity to identify that. And so I want to go through four key areas that I think are essential when it comes to interacting with those who are post-abortive, whether mothers or fathers, um, or arguably anyone else who may have been involved. And, and certainly the degree of involvement will impact likely how connected they are with the experience that, that if it's a friend who dropped their um, dropped a mother off an abortion facility if it's a grandparent of an aborted preborn child if it's something like that then there's a, a wide array of how this may um, may impact their conversations and their experiences but these four I think are very good outlines that we can work within um, within the context of our conversation I want to uh, weave this through um, an experience that I, I mentioned last week on the program two weeks ago I talked to a, a young man probably I don't know 16 maybe 17 years old um, in Calgary um, he was attending a high school um, he was on spare or break or whatever when he came by our display and um, he when I asked him, what do you think about abortion, which is generally our, our very open-ended um, question that we want to ask, a, a theme that we'll talk about all the way through today's episode, we'll be trying to be as facilitating and open-ended as we can to allow the person you're talking to to set the trajectory, um, or at least the, um, the initial trajectory of the conversation, to set the terms of conversation, that kind of thing. Um, and... <clears throat> Um, he, he said, well, you know what, I, now I, it'd be pretty hypocritical for me to be against abortion, heavily implying that he had been involved or had advocated in favor of abortion at some point in his life, very likely as it relates to, um, the abortion of his own preborn child. And, and I want to talk through how some of these tools can impact whether conversations like that, where it's implied, whether it's conversations where people come out very directly and say, I've had an abortion best decision in my life, or people who don't say it directly, but are giving you the impression that there's something deeper that is unspoken. And I want to talk through the first one. The, the first tool that we talked about is loving people genuinely, um, being able to convey the fact that we have a massive heart for everyone, right? It, it does not make sense for for pro-lifers to say that they value pre-born children if they don't value the born children of God that are right there in front of them, right? That um, this isn't a matter of we protect preborn children because they're innocent as soon as they have committed sin or injustice or, or whatever, um, then we don't value them anymore. No, that, that's not at all how we as pro-lifers, as Christians, as non-Christians should interact with people around us. And so if you don't value the person that you're, you're talking with, um, not only are you going to have a really difficult conversation, if a conversation at all, and if we don't have conversations, and if we don't have good conversations, it's preborn children who lose out. Um, if if we don't show that genuine love of that person, then we're not going to be healing the culture in the way that we need to. And so as much as a lot of the apologetics that we talk through are very academic, this is an essential component. And so what does it mean to love people genuinely? I often think about um, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quote that says, whom you would change, you must first love, and they must know that you love them. Right? It's not enough to have a gigantic heart for the people that we're talking to. They must know that we genuinely care about them. 
And so there's two ways that we can go about that, or two main ways, I guess. There's countless ways that we can do, go about it with our tone, our body language, our eye contact, um, the, the word selection that we're, we're choosing, all those sorts of things. The first one that I want to suggest is proactive vulnerability to open up a conversation, to show our genuine love for people who have made decisions we disagree with. And the way that I do this in conversation, I do this very frequently, very early in conversations, particularly with those who are demonstrating indicators that they are holding something back. It's not that I have a, a massive assumption that they have had an abortion because of the look in their eye or because of their, their demographic or something like that, but rather when their responses are guarded, when their responses are carefully selected, and you know that they are thinking more than what they're saying, um, then proactive vulnerability. I will say something to the effect of, you know what? I have friends who have had abortions and I care about them deeply. I really want the best for them. I really love them. To be able to say that, like I, I get that it, it can be weird to say to somebody, hey, I love you, even in spite of the fact that you've had an abortion. Like, that can be weird. Um, and as Trent Horn um, talks about in his book, Persuasively Pro-Life, don't be weird. Don't do it. Don't be weird if you can at all avoid it. Um, and so I like to offer this kind of third-party account of I know people. So first of all, I'm not coming from a perfect world. I'm not coming from a world in which abortion doesn't exist and I'm just the world of sin and brokenness and vice and all that kind of thing. I'm part of a broken world. I'm a broken person myself. Um, and vulnerability doesn't necessarily mean that we need to um, share a complete list of all of our own sins necessarily, um, though that might also um, help with that vulnerability of showing brokenness and, and that um, we're not trying to elevate ourselves above other people. But by stating that fact, I know people who have had abortions and I care deeply about them. I really love those people and I want the best for them. By saying that, it jars an impression for them that they don't know or they may not know what you would think about them or somebody in their life who's had an abortion. Um, if they have rattling around in the back of their minds that pro-lifers are judgmental and they hate people who have had abortions or they want people who have had abortions to go to prison or um, they're going to be mean and angry and all rude, all this kind of stuff towards post-abortive moms and dads, then they're probably not going to want to interact with you, let alone share the fact that they have themselves been involved in this abortion decision in the past. And so I want to demonstrate my genuine love for them by showing them that I have genuine love for the people in my own life who have had abortions. I know people from high school. I know people from university. I know people um, even now working in the pro-life movement who have had abortions in the past. And I do genuinely love them. And sometimes my love of them probably isn't as great as it should be. And you can say that about literally everybody in my life. I, I don't love them as much as I should. Um, but I think that's very fair to say. If you don't know anybody who's had an abortion, you don't need to start going through your contact list and pulling like, hey, here's the list of all the people in my life that I love. And I'm going to ask all of them whether or not they've had an abortion so that I can say that I know people who have had abortions and I love them. If you don't know somebody who's had an abortion in your life, um, maybe you say something to the effect of, you know what, if I found out that one of my friends or family member had had an abortion, I would still deeply care for them and love them and want the best for them in everything that happens in their life moving forward as well.
that them having an abortion is not going to change me to the point of hating them. And I think that's an important language component that I'm not going to hate them for having the abortion. Certainly, I disagree entirely with their abortion decision. And there's a tremendous difference, a fundamental difference between supporting them regardless um, in whatever decision they make. I'm going to support you regardless of whether you have an abortion or not have an abortion. I wouldn't say that. I don't support somebody um, in having an abortion. But I will love somebody who has had an abortion. I will love you and I'll do the best for you regardless of whether you do what I think is good and appropriate or whether you do what I disagree with and I think is inappropriate and sinful and wrong. That my the way that I value you as a human being does not is not contingent on your um, net morality, as it were. And that can be a complicated thing because obviously that is going to have an impact. If I found out that a loved one had an abortion, a friend or a family member, that would impact my relationship with them, right? And I think that's very fair to say that I might not have the exact same relationship with a sister or um, a a good friend or heaven forbid my, my spouse if they had had an abortion, if they have an abortion now or in the future. That's going to impact my relationship with them. But the fact that your relationship changes hopefully doesn't mean that you cease to love them, care for them, want the best for them in a um, meaningful, moral, holy sense. And so I want to demonstrate that that vulnerability. And for so that that's one route of demonstrating your genuine love for people who have made decisions you disagree with by telling them that there are other people in your life who have made that decision that that you still love and care for. Or in the case of the young man that I was speaking with, um, who said, you know what, I I feel like I would be hypocritical to say that I um, am against abortion now. My first question to him was, how are you doing? How are you doing now? Because that is, I feel like a much more compassionate response than a harder, more intellectual or academic response of, but do you think that you can kill children to solve problems? I've definitely asked that question an awful lot of times um, in pro-life outreach. And yet when somebody has given me that indication directly, I want to immediately respond with, how are you doing? How are you handling life in this moment? I am willing to hit pause for a moment on the abortion issue to make sure that you're safe, to make sure that you... um, are safe. I don't think there's a better word than that. Um, and it's not that I'm going to forget about abortion. It's not that I'm going to forget about the preborn child, but I want to make that instant connection with them that I genuinely care about their well-being. And for many people, they're going to have a variety of responses ranging all the way from complete flippancy of like, what do you mean? How am I doing? Like, I don't know. Good. I, I'm on break right now. No, no. How, how are you doing since your abortion experience? How are you doing since um, being involved in the abortion in the past? Um, that kind of thing. How are you doing? Demonstrates our genuine love and care. There's lots of different ways that you can build that into conversation, but making sure that they know that you have a genuine interest and vested interest in their well-being. Um, you're not saying it because you feel like you have to. Um, if you have to go through the motions a few times before you can really internalize it, then do it. It's not hypocritical to ask something that you have a hard time really, really meaning with every ounce of your being. 
but intend it with every ounce of your being and want it with every ounce of your being. Want to care deeply about those who have chosen abortion. As much as you disagree with, with the decision that they've made, as much as you may be horrified and rightly so by the decision that they've made, having a deep and profound care for them in that moment is instrumental in their own healing journey towards um, regret and reconciliation and recovery from abortion, but also um, potentially going to be profoundly impactful for the lives of, of children uh, moving forward, right? We know that statistically a tremendous number of mothers and fathers are involved in multiple abortion decisions because once you've made that decision once, um, whether it's a complete disregard for morality, whether it is um, justifying actions, whether it is any number of other factors contributing towards future abortions. Many people who have at least one abortion have go on to have more abortions. And so by showing that genuine care, you are ministering to the person in front of you and you are ministering to their future children. So that's number one, genuine care, um, genuine love, which can be communicated through personal vulnerability, sharing that you know people and whether you whether you know people who have had abortions um, or not, whether you say that you know people who have had abortions or if you found out that one of your um, French family members had had an abortion, you wouldn't hate them, that you would love them genuinely and you, and you would want the best for them in their recovery um, and, and healing after that um, is a very, very good starting point. And that can open the conversation. Number two, seek to understand. So... The most common response that I've ever received after saying, I have friends who have had abortions and I genuinely love them, is immediately, I have had an abortion. I, I have heard that dozens, hundreds, I'm sure of times, if not more than that, um, that, that is a, an incredible can opener for the issue. And that opens an awful big and complicated can of worms. What do I do as soon as somebody tells me that they've had an abortion? Again, if I hadn't told you already, go back to number one. I genuinely care for you. I genuinely want the best for you. How are you doing? That's where we can go. Um, as we're navigating that, the four four questions that I, sorry, I got my little notebook here to make sure that I'm covering everything I want. Um, the four questions in this order that I want you to progress through. Um, I want to encourage you for a very clear reason that I hope will be evident, but I will share at the end of them. Um, the four questions. I want to ask um, first, when? So once, I, once I've secured that they are in a safe place, if I can ask, how long ago was this? Was this recent or was this a long time ago? I want to get a, an understanding of how close to the person who had the abortion they are at that time. If they had the abortion two days ago, if they had the abortion 20 years ago, I want to know when the abortion happened to get them starting to think about themselves in context with that decision and start reflecting on where they were and who they were at that time. So first is when, second is where. I want to add, as we're kind of opening this up, and it's not going to be like a, a 20 questions kind of thing. Don't bang, 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 pepper them with questions per se, but rather talk to them through this as you're understanding when did this happen? Oh, it happened in my senior year, blah, 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 blah. There might be natural questions that flow from that. If there aren't natural questions, can I ask where this happened? Was this in Calgary here? Was this in Toronto? Was this in Florida? Was this wherever? Where did this happen? Third is who was involved. 
if I can ask, was, was your boyfriend involved in this decision? Were your parents involved in this decision? Who was involved in either pushing you towards, pulling you towards, influencing this decision? And then last of all, why? What factors in your life were contributing beyond the people who are pushing and pulling? What factors were moving you in this direction to make this decision? Help me to understand. Understand for the sake of love. I want to love you. And a huge part of love is understanding where somebody is coming from. I'm not here um, to try to make generalization comments of, uh, or, or insight or feedback or critiques or whatever without information. If I'm going to be helpful, I need to understand better. And the reason why I want to walk through those four questions in that order more often than not is because it is a progressive deepening of vulnerability. It is a massive leap of vulnerability to share about something as profound as an abortion experience. And that's daunting because for many people, this is something that they haven't shared with other people. We are in a unique and beautiful um, opportunity and situation as pro-lifers that for many of us, especially those of us who are doing street corner and door knocking and that kind of thing, um, there's a um, not an ambiguity, uh, an and anonymity surrounding abortion as it pertains to post-abortion um, decisions and, and sharing. Because when I'm talking to somebody on a street corner or on a doorstep, they have a high degree of confidence that I'm never going to see them again. And so they know this isn't necessarily going to impact their relationship with me. It's different than telling their mom, telling their best friend, telling their spouse even. And so we have to be ready for that beautiful and heavy um, opportunity for them to share their experience with you, somebody who genuinely cares about them, genuinely cares about preborn children, genuinely, genuinely cares about people. Um, this is what we're opening ourselves up for. It, it might obviously seem daunting. It, it is definitely daunting and at times overwhelming when people tell me this, even 10 years into having conversations. I want to have that progression of vulnerability so that people don't feel like I'm mining too deeply. Oh, you've had an abortion. Why did you have an abortion? Obviously the tone is going to be different. I don't, I would hope that nobody would have that tone, but I want to invite them into a gradual progression of vulnerability so that they don't catch themselves like, Oh my goodness, I'm sharing way too much with this person way too quickly. I don't even know who they are. I gotta go. Bye. That's what we don't want to have happen. If that does happen, then having a very polite, very compassionate, very loving, um, exit for them is going to hopefully open them up. If ever they do want to have that conversation, they're going to have a positive impression of pro-lifers because guess what? If they go back to the abortion facility, they're probably going to get told to forget about it. They're probably going to get told that it, abortion is not the reason why they're depressed or anxious or struggling with their life, that kind of thing. I mean, it's something else. Um, as Kevin talked about last week, there, there are many factors that contribute towards people's um, lively liveliness, well-being, all that kind of fact stuff. And many, many counselors are not going to identify or not even ask about um, abortion history. And so I want to invite them to gradually deepen their um, vulnerability towards me to know that I'm not trying to pick them apart. I'm not trying to rush them into sharing about an experience that they may not have, have thought about, have may not have a, um, expressed in any meaningful way they might not have engaged with in any meaningful way um, ever, let alone recently. 
And so by allowing them to gradually go into that, for many of them, um, I don't know if I want to say tragically, but for many people, they end up in tears. Recalling and recounting their abortion experience um, draws them into tears, not only because of the brokenness of their life now, but even more so and more frequently because of recalling how bad of a situation they were in at that time, a bad relationship, a bad situation with their career, their education, whatever it may be, um, bad times with their family, their parents, whomever um, may, be, may have been involved. But by going through that, by allowing them to dive into it gradually, hopefully that is something of stepping into um, the cold lake and, and embracing it as you're going further and further in rather than taking the, the cannonball into the lake and then rushing out as quickly as you possibly can, drying off and, and not going back in that lake ever again. If you can gradually walk your way into that lake, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have people that turn back through this progression. And yet um, it's so valuable from my experience walking through it in that order. When, where, who, why? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Who was involved in it happening? And then give me the, the absolute insider's take if you're willing to share um, on the influences that were going on inside of your own head, um, pushing or pulling you that way. So that's number two. So number one is loving them genuinely. Two is seeking to understand. Three is providing a different perspective. And I feel like pro-lifers often want to jump the gun on this. They want to hear that, or they, they hear that somebody's had an abortion. They immediately jump to the different perspective. Didn't you know that there was help available at your local pregnancy care center? Didn't you know that abort, that adoption was an option? Um, what about this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? That is tempting because... Again, we are rightfully horrified and taken aback when we hear about somebody making a decision to kill a preborn child. Um, and yet those very jarring, very confrontational style questions, especially at that stage of the conversation, can be very off-putting and drive people away from us rather than welcoming them towards us so that we can unpack the situation, we can um, help facilitate healing for them and protection for their um, children moving forward. And so once I understand far more about what pushed, who pushed, um, why they were pushed towards making an abortion decision, then I will often pivot to one of two things. If it makes sense, I'll dive directly into their particular abortion experience. If I was a friend at that time, or if we were meeting at that time, and I was here to help you, what kind of help could I have offered that might have brought about a different decision? You, you mentioned that, that your boyfriend was abusive. You mentioned that your parents were going to kick you out, whatever it may have been, whatever factors contributed. If I was there, what could I have done to have helped you, helped you navigate the challenges that you were facing? Let this be, for, for lack of a better expression, patient-driven or, or be driven by the person you're talking to rather than like, if I had done this, would it have helped? If I had done that, would it have helped? Would it have fixed things? Like, like we love fixing stuff um, in general. Fixing stuff is great. Wanting to fix stuff is great. It, it's essential in this area for the protection of their preborn children moving forward. However, allowing them to engage with the solution rather than presenting a solution, having them poke holes in it or reject it because it doesn't fit them um, is far more valuable. And so allowing them to, how could I have helped? What could I have done? And, and don't be discouraged because initially, if you present that, and, and I would um, encourage you to present it in a 
open-ended holistic kind of take, they're probably going to respond, or my experience has been, they respond with, you couldn't have helped. There's no way that I could have made a different decision. And okay, well, let's dissect it a little bit further then. Fair enough. With regards to housing in particular, do you think that if you had a safe place to stay, like if I was your best friend or, or if, if you had a best friend who was a, a young woman who had a second room that said like, hey, come and live with me for a couple months while you figure out all this craziness, would that have made things a little bit easier? Might not have solved everything, but would it have made it a little bit easier? Would some financial support have made it easier? Would X, Y, Z assurances from your employer that you weren't going to get fired, assurances from your university that you weren't going to get um, kicked out of the program, what factors could have contributed? If we lined enough of them up, could we contribute? And generally what I've found is that that builds momentum towards like, oh, that would have been really good. And oh, that would have been really good too. And oh, that would have been really good. But that's unrealistic. That doesn't happen. We're talking about fantasy land. We can talk about these other solutions to we're blue in the face. It's not going to help. That's where I often... It, it might seem weird uh, because this is often very late in a conversation. We're usually 20, 25 minutes into a conversation by this point at times. That's where I bring in the concrete pregnancy support that's available in so many places. Did you know? I mean, I know that it sounds crazy, but the Calgary Pregnancy Care Center, the Cocker Pregnancy Care Center, Choice for Two. Let me tell you about Choice for Two. Choice for Two is incredible. They they offer not only these registries, but they connect people with with parental support groups and, and small groups and individual stuff and XYZ. There is a tremendous amount available. And I want to share that so that moving forward, what I'm working towards is if ever you are in a position like that again, I want to make sure that we get a different outcome. If you are still in that bad relationship, or you're still in that that program, if you're still in financial difficulty, whatever it may be, wherever you're at, if you are there, I want to help you make a different decision. If we've talked about how these changes could have influenced a different outcome, then let's talk about that. Let's do that. Um, and let's, let's find a different perspective. Let's find different solutions to the problem that aren't going to result in the death of a child. And so whether it's for them, often we, um, I talk to people who are much older and say, you know, I had an abortion 20 years ago, 25 years ago. It's great that, that a lot of these problems have been solved now, but they weren't at the time. And, and I'll say, you know what? I agree that we can't go back in time. We can't save your child. However, I would love to empower you to work within our culture to make it so that nobody has to make that same decision that you made before. That all of the problems that you were faced with, that you felt the only solution was abortion. I don't want mothers or fathers to ever feel like abortion is the only solution for them again. Can you help? Can you be involved in sharing um, your experience and sharing your need and sharing um, the support that was lacking at the time so that we make sure that abortion is unnecessary or perceived to be unnecessary by everybody? Because that's a huge start and that's a huge gain and that is going to help them glimpse the hope that is available. It's certainly not the end. And throughout this conversation, we want to be... Um, 
sharing about whenever it makes sense, post the Board of Healing Ministries, Silent No More Awareness Campaign, Rachel's Vineyard, many churches, many local pregnancy care centers have post the Board of Healing Ministries, all that kind of thing. We want to be weaving that through the entire conversation that we're having. But those are the three core components that I, I think that we can progress through in all of our conversation. One, loving them genuinely, whether through vulnerability and sharing that you love people like them already, or whether they share and you have a genuine concern about their well-being. Number two, seeking to understand so that they are aware and familiar with the fact that um, you you genuinely want to understand where they're coming from, what they've gone through um, before you provide solutions and, and corrections. And three, once you've gained a better insight into the entirety of their experience, then offering that different perspective. The fourth and final thing that I want to talk about is the fact that language matters. Language matters in this, especially you might be wondering, like Cam, you've forgotten entirely about the preborn child. I haven't forgotten about them. And I do want to integrate them. And I often do end up integrating them into the conversation, depending on how completely the person I'm talking to, man or woman, post of mother or father, um, are engaging with the experience component. Every time they push back on the fact of like, no, I, um, this person... Um, said to me when when I'm asking the um, who's involved. Oh well, my my doctor was involved and said that it was just a clump of cells and that it'd be better for me medically um, to have had an abortion. I'm going to engage that with accurate language and with the standard apologetics that we talk about so frequently at CCBR. I mean, with all due respect, we could agree that regardless of what the doctor had said, if something is growing, it must be alive, right? Yeah, and if that living organism if you are the parent of that living organism, we know that living organism must be a living human, right? And so that that's so unfair that the doctor told you something that was a complete lie, that that wasn't just a clump of cells, but rather your human child kind of thing of, of being able to convey that, not being too heavy handed, knowing the balance in that, that we're not going to beat them over the head with... Um, we're not going to progress in this conversation at all. I'm not going to try to help you. I'm not going to show that I love you until you admit that you uh, murdered your own baby kind of thing. That's not going to be the, the necessity or, or prerequisite for this, but rather using those opportunities of like, I, this was the best decision ever um, because it, it allowed me to do all of this stuff. At times it might be a matter of like, I guess part of the reason why we're out here is because we don't think that that mothers like you or fathers like you should have to choose between um, their career and killing a preborn child. Shouldn't have to choose between that. They shouldn't um, be required to solve problems by killing innocent humans. So that that's something that is so messed up in our world, and we want to help um, resolve. And I I would love to hear more about your experience so that I can understand better what people are going through and blah 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 that kind of thing. So language matters, and language and word choice matters. And this is gonna you may have picked up on some of my word choices throughout this episode and many others. I am I try to be very intentional about postboard of mothers and fathers rather than postboard of men and women kind of thing. I, I firmly believe that you are a mother and a father, both of a preborn child and a born child, regardless of whether that child dies, whether that child dies tragically and accidentally through miscarriage or natural causes, whether that child dies tragically through injustice like abortion or any other injustice after the child is born. If a parent of a born child um, loses their child through whatever means, whatever tragedies um, happen, 
I would contend that is still a mother and, um, or a father and not simply reduced back to, and, and not that being a man or a woman is any less than being a, a mother or father, but I want to have that language inherent in my conversation to steep their understanding in how profoundly I understand the experience together with their child, that, that this post-abortive mothers and fathers are mothers and fathers who have been involved with something with a child more than just on their own, that regardless of whether they're abandoned by everybody else, they weren't abandoned by their child. Their child was still involved in that. And I know that's a little bit messy and I, I get that that can be challenging to find the right balance of not beating people over the head with, with terminology. This isn't a matter of ideological purity of no, 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 sorry, you're going to have to characterize yourself as a mother from now on, or no, 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 you're, you're going to have to call them your child for the rest of this time and not the fetus or not the embryo. I'm not going to push them in that capacity, but when I have opportunity, I'm going to try to instill the language of parenthood and the language of childhood in the conversation whenever I can. So those are four tools that I have found very, very meaningful, very helpful in conversations with post-abortive mothers and fathers. Please let me know um, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns, if you disagree with anything that I've said, please let me know. Um, I will post a link to last week's episode with Kevin Burke in the description below so that you've got that as well. Um, if you haven't tuned in already, if you have, great. Um, I think it was a very, very good episode. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. As I mentioned, this is going to be something of a theme through this year that we're going to talk a lot about post-abortion um, healing, a lot about navigating conversations with post-abortive mothers and fathers because they do make up such an important demographic of people that we are engaging in our pro-life ministry, whether you're doing stuff like CCBR's work on street corners and on doorsteps or whether you're doing other things as well. Last two things that I'll mention, um, no contest this week on... Um, the mail on, please do join our mailing list, prolifeguys.com. Join the mailing list there. Um, but I do want to give a shout out. We're going to do an episode in the near future about CSPR's internships over the summer. For many people, the idea of doing pro-life work is either daunting or exciting, but for both of them, it seems impossible. We want to make that impossibility possible. We want to help you see how pro-life ministry in a full-time capacity, full-time engaging people in conversations about abortion can happen. And so um, stay tuned for future episodes talking about CCBR's internships and different employment opportunities with CCBR and other organizations within the pro-life movement. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, please let me know your thoughts on this episode. Share it around if you think that it was a good one. Um, give it a, a five-star rating on your podcatcher if you can. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. Um, and thanks so much for being along for this ride. May God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day.